Hi, this is Tammy, and I have an exciting opportunity for you. I have a six-week program called Preparing for Your Crown. If you are on your spiritual journey and you're just trying to figure it out, you have gifts that are flowing for you, you have um, information that's coming from you at all, from all, all angles, then you want to grab my preparing for your crown. That is a six week program that I will help you navigate all of your spiritual awakening with your spiritual gifts, your sacred archetypes, embodying who you are and who it is that you desire to be. So if that is something that you are looking for and that sounds amazing to you, then make sure that you send me a message right here on this platform or you can email me and my description is normally in the show notes of this video. Welcome to Straight Out of Savannah, Talking with Tammy, a podcast that showcases people you may not know who are choosing to use their gifts to inspire and move the planet. so much for joining us on Straight Out of Savannah. I am so excited because my guest today is Therese Couture, and she's going to share who she is and what it is that she's all about and how she can help you because that, you know, initially is why we are here, why I interview spiritual entrepreneurs on this show. So Therese, take it away. Hi, Tammy. Thank you so much for inviting me, for having me. Hi, everyone. As Tammy said, I'm Therese, and I am the founder of Embodied Black Girl, which is a global community that, what I say, creates constellations of care for Black women and femmes and women and femmes of color, communities of color. And my formal training is as a coach. Um, I'm a leadership coach and mentor. I'm also a somatic experiencing practitioner. I'm a breathwork facilitator um, and so many other different modalities that I bring together. And really it's about helping folks who are leaders step into embody their leadership so that we can create revolutionary work and as well as a revolutionary world. Mm. Gosh, I love that. So mm. <laughs> let's get into it. So share with us, how did you come to this place? Because I know you wasn't born, you know, doing this. <laughs> no, I wasn't born doing this. I feel like, um, you know, I was raised by my mom was an organizer, activist. I was raised um, by activists and by artists so, and by medicine people. So it was just a spectrum of things. So I grew up really with a firm understanding of history, of our history, of world history, and having that lens. And even though I, you know, as a child, I was taught all these things, it really took becoming an adult for it to really solidify in my own experiences in my life. Um, I also 
you know, ended up going to school. I went, um, I studied many different things, but ultimately I um, really focused on African art and literature as well as theater as a catalyst for change. That's what I was really interested in. Um, so one of the big things that happened to me within about 11 years ago was what my dad passed away. And that was really the catalyst. I was like, wow, I was doing the work that I'm doing, but I wasn't vocal about it. It was like people would find me through the grapevine. It was like I would do really fronting. The front was like, oh, I'll help you with your marketing or I help you with this and that. But really, it was depth work that I was doing. And my dad, he he um, was a medicine man. And when I lost him, it was sudden. And it really felt like, okay, this was a call to step into the medicine that I had to bring into the world. Hmm. Yes. What was the medicine I had to bring and step really into it. And then um, a year after my dad passed, a little over about, yeah, a little over a year after my dad passed, I was um, wrongfully detained by the police. And it was just a whole situation where we really could have lost our lives and fortunately didn't. Thank God. And that also made me really, really even more grounded that my work needed to be rooted in justice, um, in injustice, really. So, so my work combines spirituality, justice, and somatics. Um, so those are the things that really brought me to where I am today. Mm, that is so powerful. Um, the thing is, is I liked the fact that you were raised by a medicine man. That is so amazing to me. <laughs> and I know that there was a lot of stuff that you got, you know, from that upbringing that you're bringing into your work today. Correct. Yeah. I mean, growing up in Brooklyn, I grew up in Brooklyn, but um, although I grew up in Brooklyn, I remember I would go on these walks with my mom and she would show me the medicine that was in nature and how to use it. Uh, my mom primarily works with plant medicines, um, but it was seeing, even though it was New York City growing up in, in that space, but seeing that actually we are on the ancestral lands of the Lenape people and there's medicine all around. Um, you know, I lived really close to Prospect Park. So even just going to the park and seeing, the, learning about the, the medicine that was there. Mm, that is something. So as you grew up in that, did you have a feeling when you were younger that maybe this was a path that you were going to take or did you or were you not wanting to do that? <laughs> yeah, when I was younger, I feel like I was always the intuitive child. Like I was always, um, would always have dreams and would tell my mom my dreams, but that was actually normalized. So I didn't think any of it was a big deal. I thought it was just like what everyone would do, like in the morning as a family, what, what dream did you have? And we would talk about our dreams and interpret our dreams. 
So for me, it was just like, this is just what, what you do. I didn't see it as a career path. So it wasn't really as like, oh, you can do this as a career. It was like, oh, as a career, these are the traditional routes. You know, you could become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a teacher. These are the traditional routes that I saw. Um, but this was just something that was part of our being. So I didn't, I didn't even think of it as, oh, this is something I could do. It wasn't in my, even in my awareness. That is powerful because I know that, you know, when you think about that, a lot of people, when they're raised, especially in, you know, that sort of um, arena, it's like, you know, oh, well, you know, but it's, this is just what my family does, but, you know, I don't really subscribe to that, you know, cause I want to go over here, you know, I want to do this, you know, and, and I think that because you embrace that, you know, it was already here for you. It was already set up for you. It was already destined for you. And that catalyst being when your father um, transitioned that that's huge. Mm -hmm. And did you go through any type of experiences when he transitioned? Um, I guess spiritually. Yeah, I feel like it's been just many, many experiences. And really the biggest thing that I've learned is that the relationship doesn't end. Yes. You know, I thought that, oh, that's it. <laughs> okay, that's it. But actually the relationship doesn't end. You know, I see my dad in my dreams and my meditations in different ways and different messages. Um and so I didn't, that was new for, for me. Like I had a concept of it, but this was the closest person that I, that I had that passed away, like, um, that I knew really, really closely. Um, so to see that that relationship expanded, there was so much grief and still like, I feel like there's grief that's there of him not being in this form but I am so keenly aware that he is with me, like even now, even in this moment, like he is with me, guiding me. Um, yeah, right next to me. That is awesome. I I can feel that so intensely. Um, I actually have a similar experience like that as well with my grandmother. Same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people, I'm like, y'all don't know. I was like, I miss her like it was yesterday, really. And it's mm. been 15, 16. She died in 2005. So what's that? 18 years? Wow. But I had that kind of relationship. And I, I also actually realized that too, which I didn't know at first, you know, because mm. she was on the other side of the spectrum where I truly believe she was also a medicine woman, but she was also a pastor you know, a preacher, a teacher, you know, prophetess, all these things. But she also did do the same thing that that um, you were talking about. She would go out and pick the things out of the the grass in the field and stuff like that and make medicine and, and stuff like that. And, and I appreciate that, you know, we come from that type of lineage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful that you said that. I mean, I just even think about folks in my family who... Um, were pastors and preachers, um, like my aunt and, um, just like prayer warriors. Like my mom is a prayer warrior. I mean, 
And so I grew up also in the church. So seeing, having both of those experiences, but I feel like there's something different with like black churches yes. in America and black churches across the diaspora. There's still this really deep connection and some people might not even realize it. There's a deep connection and interwoven with African indigenous ways of being yes. and ways of re relating. Yes. Um, so, you know, with what you said, it's like, of course she went out into uh, and was picking things in the grass. It's part of our DNA. That's how we survive for those of us who um, are descendants of folks who are enslaved. Yes. Right. That's how they survive. That's how we're here. That's how I'm here. Yeah. That's how we're, we're all here yeah. because mm -hmm. that's what they did. You know, they, they, they knew, you know, and it, it would be something cause she would just have these things and she would boil it up. Like I think about it. We were never sick as kids mm. because they made sure, you know, you, 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 she would boil some stuff up and you would drink this and, you know, sassafras and all these things that was just disgusting tasting. <laughs> <laughs> like she would boil them up and then they would you know make sure that you know our bowels move like they were supposed to and things like that and you know and those are simple things but people don't do that a lot of times in this day and age and they you know rely so much on um big pharma which you know I was sharing with you before we came on I'm not you know I I go and I find out what's going on and then I go to the nature path <laughs> <laughs> to see or I start doing my own research to see what I need to do, you know, cause like I said, I feel that, that, that missing link, but, um, I know that I did learn also too, like you, that there's still connection because she comes to me, you know, and sometimes I can, she'll call my name, which wow. is something, you know, and, and, you know, or when I just really need, you know, some guidance because she was my person anyway, you know, that I would go to mm -hmm. in physical, you know, but, um, but yeah, so as you do this work, what has been the biggest thing that you have had to deal with, with people? Cause I know you do like you do, uh, do you do individual sessions as well? Mm -hmm. So I, what was one of the, the most, the, the themes, the recurrent theme that you've seen with your clients? It's so many, but it's so much, but what I would say it's really, believing the lies of the colonialist white supremacist patriarchy mm -hmm. it's internalizing those lies that we're not worthy we're not enough you know there's some kind of brokenness and that brokenness manifests in many different ways for for different people, right? It could be look for one person, it could be they they constantly have negative thoughts. For another person, they could be really overachieving, right? And constantly getting like a gazillion degrees <laughs> and still feel like they're not truly worthy and not um and defective in some way. Yes. And I think you know, especially I work with a lot of black women and women in general. And I just feel that it's really, there's, there's so many lies 
there's so many lies and the lies of relating to even relating to one another that there isn't enough, right? That it's like crabs in a bucket, right? And without recognizing this is, I loved um, Sonia Renee Taylor had said this when I had interviewed her one time, she was like, you know, it's crabs in a bucket and it's not realizing that you're, natural habitat is not the bucket your oh. natural habitat is the ocean oh that is oh my god that just hit me <laughs> yes right I mean I'm getting goosebumps even what? thinking about that um wow. it's not oh. your natural habitat so it's a brainwashing yeah. there's brainwashing that is happening on many different levels so it's really unplugging from that brainwashing and coming into deep embodiment mm. oh. deep embodiment deep relationship to your bodies to our bodies to one another's bodies because the thing that the systems of harm and oppression and marginalization does is that it creates the severance it creates this disconnection First, of course, we're disconnected from ourselves, but we're also disconnected from the land. Why did our ancestors know to go, and not even our ancestors, our elders know to go to nature to get that medicine? Why weren't you sick when you were young? Because they knew. Yeah. Because they knew that disconnection from land, although it happened on a spectrum, it's not as much as it is it is now. And then of course that leads to disconnection from, from one, one another, you know, there's this hyper individualism, there's this, you know, just reading all these stories of people who, who seem like they have it all. And yet we find out that person is suffering from depression or suffering alone, or they're feeling really lonely. Yes. And Obviously, there there can be something within someone's physiology that can cause that. Right, right. But sometimes it can be just isolation. Yes. Yes. Just isolating and not having community and not having support and not allowing ourselves to be supported. Yes. So I feel like I answered, I went and so many other things, but no, uh, then your question, but I just feel like this is a call back into deep embodiment of our power, you know, that, especially at this time. Whoa, that is so powerful because that is, that's actually the call that I'm on. Mm. You know, I've been called to me, you know, I, I actually, actually had um a word from the spirit. It was like, okay, so you're not to take any, you know, classes right now. Mm. to just dive into you you know you're to get your instructions from you from your higher self from the holy spirit from god source universe whatever people would like to call him her or them is what i say um that is like that's so awesome oh my god so now how much do you feel like the pandemic and mm. i call it the pandemonium or the pandemic? How much do you feel like that affected people, especially with this, because that isolation, that was huge for a lot of people. Yeah, the pandemic in so many ways 
I lost so many people in the pandemic. As I was telling you um, before come on, came on, I'm from the East Coast and I grew up in New York City and we lost so many people. Actually, I lost my um, my um, pediatrician who actually was retired, but went back. They were calling folks to come back and help. Oh my gosh. And he went back and help and he got COVID and passed away. So there's so many stories, countless stories. And I just want to just name that first, that there's so much grief because a lot of people, they just talk about the pandemic and don't name like we in the Turtle Island, what it's called the United States, we lost over 1 million people. Yes. And so those million people are connected to millions more people, right? Mm -hmm. That means millions of people were impacted by this loss, mm -hmm. not to mention people who might've survived COVID. I know there are people who are dealing with long COVID and so mean? many, yeah, so many illnesses yeah. from, from having COVID, Yeah, right? So there's a lot of grief with that. And then we compound that with the ways that it has impacted the black community um, even more and the indigenous community even more. Um, so there's a lot of grief. And in many ways, I we're just at another phase of the pandemic. Yes. Like it, it, we're at another phase of the pandemic. So it's the impacts of the pandemic. It's something that we're going to see. I think it's going to take a decade to really see what the actual impacts of it are. I said seven years, the decade, it sounds about right. Yeah. Because we're now in what, year four, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. God, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I agree with that. It's like, you know, because people think, oh, well, you know, it's over and this and that, but you don't realize there's so many people that have been affected, you know, in mm -hmm. all ways, you know, with the people that we've lost the grief, you know, because I think my husband lost a brother as well. Oh, you I'm know, so sorry. In New York. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it was just looking at that. And then, then all the people that, you know, dealt with the illnesses and then the long COVID, that thing is no joke. Yeah, it, it's, it's no joke. And, you know, when you said about your husband's brother, I'm so sorry about that. It's also, you just reminded me of the funerals yeah. that many of us did not get to go to. Right. Right. Or even if we were able to look over a screen, right. I mean, I remember I, I attended uh, what at least several funerals online. And I remember one of them, I just felt numb. Yeah. Yeah. Because part of um, a funeral is a right. It's, it's actually a, a, a sacred right. Right. So in order for us to, to heal, we need to reclaim these rights. This is part of embodiment, like, you know, not glossing over things and moving on so quickly. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I think come to mind. 
I think a part of that is we have been conditioned, especially now in, the, in these generations, um, to do that, to gloss over a lot of things and not to actually do what you said, embody. You yeah. Know, sometimes we 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 deprive ourselves of time to process these things and, and they need to be processed. You know? Yeah. And that's part of the system, right? Because most people, if you're, unless you're like part of the 1% who can just like get on a yacht and, and just disconnect, but be disconnected in many other ways, that's a whole other can of worms. Most people have to like get up, go to work, take care of their kids. It's the, it's the hamster wheel of capitalism. Yes. Especially here so in America. It's inconvenient. Yes. That's essentially grief is inconvenient for capitalism. Yeah. Because grief, the pandemic, anything that is just moving forward forces us to take a pause, to have to reflect, yes. to have to slow down. And anything that requires us to slow down, that means we're not being productive, at yes. least in capitalism. <laughs> capitalistic terms we're right. not productive and if you're not productive then you're not valued and if you're not valued that means you can be discarded and if you can be discarded that means death so we internalize that in so many different ways that oh if i'm not being productive if i'm not if i'm not doing it means i'm going to die yes 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 Yes. And I, I know that that is a big part of the work that you do mm -hmm. because I, I can, I can already feel it's like you, you guide people to themselves so that they can learn how to embody all of them and everything and, and not gloss over so many things and actually take time to look at things because we don't often do that. A lot of times we, you know, because especially, I don't know what age group you're in, but my age group, it was a lot to get over it. <laughs> I think it hasn't stopped. Just get it. Well, you know, younger kids they can't do that because <laughs> they're not. They ain't built for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even but it's I like, just, get over it. Yeah, just get over, over it. Ten years ago, why are you still? You know, why are you still on that? Yeah, I mean, I I even remember my son. I have my son who just finished kindergarten. Like he said, get over it about something because he had heard it he had heard it out in oh. the world I didn't say that to him no one and but that's still like I'm like he's the youngest generation part of the youngest generation and this is still the programming you know I was I had somebody laugh and I said this is a problem mm -hmm. I said this is a problem I said this is why you're having young people killing themselves because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they can't get over it <laughs> You know, and it's like, okay, so where do we make that shift? Yeah, how do we, where and how do we make that shift? Yeah. What really, I think coming together and gathering in circles, the word circles, like really coming together and gathering in circles and as a way to heal the bond, the, the severances of how we relate to one another and how we relate to the earth and how we relate to ourselves. 
because healing does not happen happen in a silo. No. Healing mm-hmm. happens in community. And I think people you hear, you've been hearing that more and more. Yeah. But I'm but I'm wondering if people like really understand what that means. Like, what does that mean? No. That healing happens in community and what that means, at least to me, my perspective, my point of view is to be in a relational space with one another. And in order to be in a relational space, you have to be able to sit and be able to be with the joy. And you have to be able to sit and be with the grief. Mm. And most of us don't have maybe the capacity or maybe even know the how to, how to do that. Yeah. But the thing is our ancestors knew how to do that. Just yes, simply sitting with someone and listening. See, and I remember that, you know, I, I remember that because I, like I said, you know, my gr- grandmother was my person and I was her road dog for a while, you know, because I lived mm. with her for a while and she would go to these little churches and do healing services. Mm-hmm. Like out in the girl, you couldn't find them. You were looking for them. These little churches were back in the woods, you know, different places. And uh, we would go in Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, and North Carolina, I remembered. So we would go to these little churches. They would invite her and she would come and do healing services. And I remember those days and it was like, wow, you know, and I think back to that because I think about the people would come out and they would come ready to, you know, get healed. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just the most amazing thing, you know, because I've been like reflecting on that a lot lately, just because I know that that is my legacy. I'm supposed to, be mm. doing that. <laughs> but I've been reflecting on that and, and remembering, you know, how she would bring the people and they would come and then they would come and they would bring food. You know, sometimes they wouldn't, you know, have, you know, they wouldn't pay or anything like that, but they would bring food. They would give her a little offering, basically, you know, might be enough to get gas and food or whatever, or maybe a hotel if we had to spend the night. But, you know, it was just the, the the most awesome thing to see, you know what I mean? Just to see. And then, of course, you know, she would call me up and say, you know, come up here. I want you to lay hands on someone, this person and pray. And that's what I would do as a child. I was three, four five years old. Mm. So I remember, you know, that and it's like, you know, just getting back to that part, you know, because I think about now that was a, a type of community, you know, yeah. people coming together, you know, to get this healing and she of course you know she of course bring a word you know bring a message and all that stuff so you know that was a part of that but we don't have a lot of that going on now although I see things happening now Mm -hmm. shifting yeah so so what do you see as far as that do you see the shift that has come or is coming or what how do you feel about that yeah, I mean, I love, thank you for sharing that. That's so beautiful. I just see you as three, four, five laying of hands. Um, and that reminds me of um, this passage from Natosaki Shange's book for colored girls. Um, and in the passage, she writes what they needed or what we needed was a laying of hands, a laying of hands. I don't remember it. I usually have it on my desk, but it it had that. And it's so beautiful that you were able to experience that. And I think what I'm seeing is that I think people are craving it. Yes. 
People are craving it, but they may not know what they're craving. Yeah. It feels like almost like they, they know they need something, but they're just not sure what they're not exactly right. People don't get in your energy. Yeah. They, they, they're like, I, I know I need something. And really it is to be in community and to learn how to, to be in, in community with one another. Yes. How we can be in community with one another. I think that is, that is really what we're craving and to come back to the earth. Yes. Um, I, whenever I'm out with my, my little one, I'm always, he was like, oh, wow, we were driving to the city and he was like, oh, wow, look at those buildings. And I was like, yeah, I know he likes buildings. And I was like, well, look at the earth. Yes. What holds those buildings? The earth. That's what is the foundation. So a lot of times we're looking up and we forget to look down. And sometimes, you know, we could be the person constantly looking down and we forget to look up, not at the buildings, but at the cosmos. (laughs) But, you know, just having, being able to be with all the different energies. But I think what we need is to come and gather. And I know, for example, your grandmother, she's the one that held space. But even if someone doesn't know how to do that, just being, just gathering a couple of people. Yes. Right. A couple of people yes. and taking a turn to witness one another, to yes. share what's on your heart. Yes, 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 yes. And not to try to fix, not to try to change, not to try to like create some big transformation, but only to witness that person. Yes. I mean, how many times do we even have the opportunity to just speak and people are not even are are not interrupting us yes mm-hmm. that part that that yeah yeah and that that is to me that's so important you know because holding space is to me that's the first thing that I want to do for people is I want to just allow them space mm-hmm. you know and sometimes I think maybe I let them talk too much you <laughs> know then I realized no they needed that and that was who I needed to be for them at that time you know I needed to be there you know not to even speak not to even say anything just to listen you know and allow them to express what they need to express Mm -hmm. yeah that's 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 power that's perfect all righty so we are about to land this plane Um, Share any last words that you want to say to the people, or if you have anything that you have going on, like if you have a program or anything, or um, and also share where people can connect with you, the best place for people to connect with you, and anything else you want to want to share with the audience. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. Um, this has been a nourishing conversation, and I hope that even one thing touches someone out there, even if it's one person. And um, the best place to find me is embodiedblackgirl.com. And from there, you can join our newsletter. um, And you'll also receive a boundaries practice, (laughs) which is something a lot of us need practice. That is here. Boundaries. What are your boundaries? So you'll receive a boundaries practice and 
yeah, that's a great way to stay connected. And I'm also on Instagram, Embodied Black Girl, or also Therese Couture on Instagram. But those are the places. And throughout the year, I have different offerings that open up. I have an offering. I don't know when this is coming out. Um, a decolonial leadership, um, which is going to be an intimate group for folks who want to really bring their work out into the world. So that's going to be the next offering that I have. Um, and that's decoloniallleadership.com. Hmm. Um, that is going to be so fire. I'm so <laughs> excited about that. And you're right. This conversation has been amazing. So let me ask you this one last question. If there was anything in the world that you could change, mm. what would it be? Uh, anything in the world that I can change. I would change the way the world views, interacts with Black women and femmes. Because I know that to center the healing of Black women and femmes would then create this ripple effect of goodness for all people. Because anti-Blackness is needs to be uprooted. Yes. Absolutely. It needs to be uprooted. And if that is uprooted, our relationship to the earth changes, our relationship to what another changes. So many relationships change because that is the foundational system of this, of the world. Yes, that is exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And that is- I love Black women. Love Black women and femmes. Cherish them. Yes. Cherish, cherish us. Yes, that is that that really is. And, and it it speaks to so many things, because if you think about it, you know, first you have just the general black people that, you know, they want to put us down in the ground and all this stuff and, you know, make us uh, prove our value and prove our worth and all of these things. But women, black women is even worse. <laughs> I tell people, I said, it's, it's almost like being a triple minority. You know, if you think about it, you know, it's like, come on, you know, and I was actually talking about that in terms of healthcare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you almost have to scream to get anybody to listen to you in healthcare as a black woman. Mm -hmm. As a woman first, but as a black woman, even more so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with that. That I think that is, that will be something that, um, do you think that we can accomplish that in our lifetime? I hope so. I hold on to that vision. Yes. So many things will have to change. I hold on to that vision. And also, I think it's really important to name that as Black folks, our healing, our liberation cannot be dependent on that. We deserve healing, joy, liberation now for ourselves. Yes. And grasping at it, um, holding on to it in any way that shape that we can. Mm, yes, that is so powerful. I love it. This was, oh, this has been such an amazing, amazing conversation. And I am so grateful that you have joined me, Therese Kator. I'm so just excited about this 
conversation and I cannot wait for people to see it or and listen to it. So um, in light of that, we are going to land this plane. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, thank you, thank you. Make sure that you like, share, and subscribe. If you're listening to it, do the same. Make sure that you're downloading and that you're sharing with people because this conversation needs to go global. It needs to, people need to hear it all over the planet. And so that is, th these are the intentions that I have set for this show. So, um, but I want to thank you for um, joining me, Therese. I really, really appreciate it. And I know that you're super busy and I thank you for taking time out of your schedule. And I also thank you for being such a beacon of mm -hmm. life for us, especially as a black woman, you know, and I, I just, you know, it's so um, amazing to see that. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just so appreciative. And so if you want to get in touch with her, all of her details will be in the show notes, her links and everything will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to click on those and go to where she is. Um, also follow her on Instagram and where else are you? That's really where I have, I have Facebook, but Instagram, I'm not really on Facebook. Okay. See, and I'm, and I'm the opposite. You <laughs> can find me on Facebook. You'll find me, but not everything gets posted there. Gotcha. So make sure that you're following her definitely on Instagram. And if you are a spiritual entrepreneur and you are looking to come on my show, make sure that you reach out to me, send me a message and let's, you know, get you scheduled because I'm scheduling actually for the rest of the year. I'm probably about, I think, halfway scheduled now, but you know, there's always next year. So, so anyway, thank you so much for joining us on Straight Out of Savannah. And I hope that, you know, whatever your day is, that is magical. So thank you for joining us. Bye now. I know you've been blown away with the amazing Valley here today. Now go out and inspire the planet. And be sure to send us a message when you're ready to come talk about it. I'm straight out of Savannah. Talking with Tammy.